today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, lots of uh, new information pouring in overnight in regard to uh, vaccination, uh, whether it's uh, more reporting on the AstraZeneca or uh, means of rollout. Uh, it's uh, it's a fluid story, as uh, as it always has been through this entire pandemic. Let's bring in uh, Dr. Barry Pecos, a public health and preventative medicine physician and a professor with the Dalatlana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, your thoughts on where we are right now, doctor. Obviously, uh, in Ontario, 1,546 new cases today. We are seeing uh, new cases continue to go up. Variants continue to be a, uh, a concern. Obviously, the death rate uh, continues to stay low, which is good news, although if you're one of those families that have lost someone, I'm sure you feel quite differently uh, about that. But your thoughts on where we are, doctor, right now on March 23rd? So, you know, we are, uh, as we've all noted, in the third wave uh, or, you know, a third um, sort of trickle that's, that's moving upwards, uh, progressing into a wave. But we're clearly on the way up right now, especially with the variants, which are now a good, you know, 50 to 60 percent of what we're seeing around the province. So, you know, uh, as always, we're in a precarious position, but we do see the light at the end of the tunnel. So we are no doubt going to see this third wave of cases. But as you pointed out, whether we see a real third, significant third wave in terms of hospitalization or deaths um, is yet to be seen in other countries that had really great vaccine rollouts like Israel and the UK, and, but they did have these huge vaccine uh, variants of concern surges. They certainly did see um, a lot of hospitalizations and deaths, even in younger populations, but not quite as bad as the second wave. So we will have to see um, how our public health measures and our vaccine rollout stacks up. Uh, as you mentioned, obviously, uh, long-term, hair, uh, long-term care, those, uh, those seniors' facilities, which were so vulnerable and, and, and so tragically hit in the first and second wave of these, have now, uh, for the most part, been vaccinated. How will that alter the third wave? Because we're seeing more and more young people becoming infected now. That's right. Well, young people have always been infected right throughout, uh, certainly, but they haven't always been getting as ill. And we know that these variants uh, are making people more ill than the classic COVID. So that is certainly a concern. Uh, but you're right. The, the fact that we've immunized the long-term care facilities is, a, is really uh, a, a you know, game changer. And, and as someone who's investigating and working on outbreaks in long-term care, I can tell you that you know, it's nothing like it was uh, even a month ago. You know, if you have an unfortunate introduction from a worker into a facility where everybody's been vaccinated, we are just not seeing the spread. And that really not only is great for, you know, the overall response in the health system and for those individuals, but it also allows us to take those public health folks who've been working on those outbreaks so hard and move them over to schools, to vaccines, to other parts of the pandemic response. How are ICU units now? How is the hospital system coping now? You know, um, the hospital system has really been at a, um, you know, just just moving along at a, at a steady state now. And, and you know, of course, it, it's important to note that, you know, the one of the first official organizations that did note that we were in a third wave was the Ontario Hospital Association, because, you know, we didn't see the drop in hospitalizations that we would like to see. It does take a couple weeks after cases for hospitalizations to go up and then down. Um, but, you know, there are still people being hospitalized. There are still people in the ICUs. Uh, and in some jurisdictions, actually, it's, it's becoming more significant. For example, in, in northern Ontario, where they are seeing some, um, you know, some wards and, and some hospitals being uh, somewhat overwhelmed. But, you know, I think we're in a position that we are, um, you know, we're well positioned to handle what's going on. 
as long as we can really maintain those public health measures and get get the vaccine rollout really going. Uh, we all know what happens after a holiday, and, and, and much of this is predicted. I remember this around uh, Christmas time, but of course, obviously, we're approaching Easter. Are you expecting two weeks after that another spike? Uh, you know, I'm hoping that's not going to happen, but we certainly are aware that that is a risk. Um, you know, I think it is somewhat of a different situation in that, um, you know, people can actually celebrate and get together socially outdoors in the spring, as opposed to, you know, it was really more difficult in December. You know, the type of holiday it is in December versus April is somewhat uh, different. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen. And of course, again, with the 80-year-old, 75-year-old, 70-year-old, many of them vaccinated, it, it most certainly does take two weeks um, after you're vaccinated, even with the first dose, to have any effect at all. And Really, you're not fully protected without those two doses, but, you know, that hopefully will mitigate some of that uh, post-holiday effect, at least in terms of, of the serious illness. We are seeing easing of restrictions. This comes as variants are rising, and that, to some people, sends some mixed messaging. What are your thoughts? How do you balance the openings and the new variants? Yeah, so that, that is a real significant concern, not only in terms of the mixed messaging that's confusing people, but also the actual risk of, of for example, you know, indoor dining um, is something that, that I'm, I'm quite concerned about. You know, as we exit the pandemic, hopefully, or we, we see the end in sight, the, really the last thing we're going to get to do is to gather together with other people indoors in close proximity without our masks on. And that is exactly what indoor dining is. And, and absolutely understandable that, that restaurants are, are just horribly suffering. Um, but I think outdoor dining makes, makes a good deal of sense. I'm not sure in a red zone or area that indoor dining is good from a population level. I think, you know, as an individual, it might make sense. And I think most restaurants are, are really going to be vigilant about things. But are 30,000 restaurants around the province of Ontario going to be able to be perfect? Um, I don't think so. Uh, yesterday, we were uh, praising AstraZeneca because there was some new information out in regard to uh, those testing it in the United States. Uh, and such. And then today we're saying that they may have used outdated information. At the end of the day, we, we have to be uh, upfront and say this is little or nothing to do with the safety of the vaccination. It's more about its, uh, its efficacy. Uh, how, how do you, uh, what do you say to people in regard to the confusion around the AstraZeneca? Um, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a good thing that, you know, what has come out just today is that the Data Safety and Monitoring Board has said, you know what, guys, I think you didn't use exactly the right data that you should have used. And, and while that is confusing for some people, I actually think, like many other revelations around some of the vaccine safety or efficacy information, I think it's a good thing that it's come out because it actually should be giving people confidence that, you know, at every level here, there are multiple sort of layers of uh, people who are checking on this, whether it be Health Canada or the FDA or these data safety monitoring committees that are being transparent about things. So, you know, while some might see it as, as you know, confidence reducing and confusing. I actually see it as a, as a good thing. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mona Niemer, uh, Canada's chief uh, science advisor, uh, questioning the extension of the fourth dose, saying that a uh, fourth dose, saying that uh, especially in seniors, that the efficacy rate drops. 
after uh, after several weeks. Your thoughts on that? And uh, obviously, it looks like uh, the the premier has decided to to hold the second dose for those in long term care. We certainly know how hard they were hit. But then there's those that are not in long term care that are living on their own, uh, eighty plus now, getting seventy five plus now, booking appointments for vaccination. However, the the second dose is four months away. Uh, your thoughts or concerns around that? Yeah, you know, I think it's really important, like everything in this pandemic, that we look at both the individual level perspective and the population level perspective. So while on the individual level, one vaccine uh, is not going to be as as effective as two, at the population level, um, you're not going to need that additional protection if the levels in the population are low enough that you're not actually exposed to the virus. So Mm. at a population level, this one dose approach uh, and delaying the second dose in order to get as many people vaccinated as possible, I think it really does work. And, and it really will work. And, and I think it's in the interest of all Ontarians and, you know, all Canadians. And we are certainly seeing in the coming weeks that there's going to be much more vaccine available. You know, what's really been restricting us in terms of the rollout has been the vaccine itself. And as many more millions of doses are available, I think we are going to be able to give the second dose probably earlier than four months. Um, but, but I think it is the right move to delay it. Uh, what about in seniors? Even, even in seniors. You know, I, uh, uh, most 80-year-olds have gotten their second doses. My parents are, are actually both physicians in their 80s, and they only had their one dose and was, were upset that they weren't going to get their second. But, but actually, you know, I'm, I'm really quite happy to be patient with that. I think if everyone around them, more 60-year-olds and even down to 50-year-olds over the next month potentially, uh, get their one vaccine, and we're able to, you know, get the level of, of the virus down in the population overall, I think that's going to protect the 80-year-olds as well. And those people in, in their 80s and in, in congregate settings and who haven't had their second dose, they're going to be the first to get their second dose when enough vaccine is available. Uh, as we talked about more younger people getting sick, we're hearing, and, and you may be able to shed some light on this, that those that are, are in the in the ICU, 90% of them are under 65, which I guess makes sense now that the older population has been vaccinated. That is true, and, and that is really concerning. Just over this past weekend, I, I heard of a, you know, a couple in their 30s with a little child, both of the parents, one was in the ICU, the other one requiring oxygen, so had to figure out what to do with that child and make sure they were cared for. And, and I heard of two, um, you know, young women who were pregnant who had the, the virus and, uh, you know, and had unfortunate, you know, outcomes uh, in pregnancy there. So it, it absolutely is a concern for younger people uh, as well. And, and as we vaccinate the older folks, we're going to see that more and more in young people. And we have the advantage in Canada, really, that we've seen this happen, exactly this happen in other countries who've had their second wave already as, the, as their vaccine is, is being rolled out. And so we can learn from that. Uh, obviously, uh, when we we went through the first and second wave, uh, uh, the uh, they were they, they became worse as each wave uh, progressed. Uh, third wave, there's some question on that simply because those older populations are now uh, vaccinated. So, can we assume we will just see see less death, less infection? Um, I don't think we can assume it. I think we need to continue to work hard to prevent you know, uh, the most vulnerable people from getting ill because, you know, they can, you know, 90 for 95 percent efficacy still means 5 percent or one in 20 might actually get, you know, get the virus. But, you know, it really is almost 100 percent effective, the the vaccine in preventing hospitalization and death, even in older people. So I think that I'm very optimistic that while we may see 
this third wave and potentially even a, a more significant third wave than the second in terms of cases, I'm very hopeful that between the vaccine and keeping our public health measures in place, we will not see that third wave in terms of hospitalization and death. Because we are taking so long, does that does that change vaccine hesitancy? I mean, obviously, with the AstraZeneca situation, you can see how that may contribute to, uh, contribute to it. But as we're waiting, we're seeing the numbers of people who want it actually increasing. Yeah. I, and, you know, something that is scarce, people are going to want it. And and really, yeah. you know, vaccine hesitancy is pretty rare in Canada, you know, generally pre-COVID. And I think people are understandably somewhat hesitant about something new. But as they see millions upon millions of other Canadians getting the vaccine and and hundreds of millions literally have already gotten it around the world. And they see not only that it is really very safe, but it is also very, very effective. You know, I think most of that vaccine hesitancy is going to evaporate. Um, and I think, you know, Canadians are, are pretty reasonable. And as we provide them and, and you know, uh, give them access to the vaccine, I think people are going to get it. What can we do with one shot? Does that change your protocol? What can we do uh, right now uh, with with the levels that they that the vaccine is at in most many communities, certainly in the in the GTA uh, and in some other regions in northern Ontario as well, that are in the gray and the red zone. I don't think we should be doing much. I personally have had the shot for quite some time and I have many colleagues. I've only had one. I have many, many colleagues who've had two and, you know, they are still walking around with masks, distancing, doing all the things um, that they're supposed to be doing. You know, it is beautiful weather. Go outside. You know, you can chat with your friends, keep your distance, keep your mask on at least for the next four to six weeks. And then I think, you know, some of that advice might change as a greater proportion of our population is vaccinated. Any more information on whether if you have been vaccinated with both, if you can still spread the disease? You know, I think it's very unlikely. I think, you know, the, the, the fact that we've been saying that you can theoretically spread it is because we don't know definitively that you cannot. But there are some good studies, you know, one from Israel that was out uh, some time ago showed, you know, your, your, your viral load, the amount of virus in you, even if you get uh, the disease once you've been vaccinated, is very low. So I think the chances of spreading it are dramatically reduced. Um, but that isn't going to work its way into our policy and what we can do until we have more of our Canadian population vaccinated. Right now, we're hovering around 9%, 10%. Uh, I feel we really need to get to 20 25% before really, and maybe even further, before we're really able to change policy, just because it, it really isn't safe for everyone in the population if we do that. And there's been some chatter about easing restrictions in long-term care, uh, as most of them have been vaccinated. I believe now is the situation with my mother. Uh, the primary caregiver gets a shot, can go in, but nobody else can. So uh, what about long-term care? I mean, can they, I mean, they're going back to normal within the home, but as far as visitors are getting out, I mean, it's the same scenario for them until most of the people have a shot, correct? Absolutely. And and I have to tell you that the, the public health physician community and, and, and all the public health units, as well as the long-term care facilities who've been involved in these outbreaks for over a year now, that is top of their concern uh, of their minds it is our main concern is getting these people who've essentially been imprisoned in their rooms uh, you know to be able to get out to be able to interact somewhat more and and you know just today a policy change with respect to testing and long-term care went out and we're expecting um, other changes with respect to long-term care and some of the outbreak management and and we are treating them differently when we are managing outbreaks and I think on the horizon very soon is you know more opening up of those settings they are still vulnerable settings and 
things can spread quickly once they get in there. And, and we have seen that in some places. Um, but I think opening up, uh, particularly in those settings, is on the horizon. So in the end, I won't get in to see my mom until I get a shot, even though she's had hers. That is that is pro- that is quite likely. Um, you know, I think there may be ways that you might be able to interact, you know, depending on whether she might be able to go outside, mask and distance, depending on mobility. But, you know, I think the safest thing is to wait uh, probably until you have your shot, which which may be coming sooner than you think. Advice for those that are waiting for the shot and, and living this day to day. You know, it, it, it's certainly understandable that it, it is challenging and difficult if your number, your age bracket essentially is not coming up. We, we certainly are seeing people going to their primary care physicians and getting people to write letters and all that. You know, I don't think that's an efficient use of primary care resources, and it, hmm. it certainly presents a lot of challenges in terms of getting this rollout done smoothly, although I do understand why people are doing it. Um, but I think it's just a matter of, of patience. You know, I think we can all appreciate the beautiful weather that's happening. Even without the vaccine, you continue wearing your, your mask, continue distancing. You can get outside and interact in some ways, even go to, you know, restaurant patios, uh, and, and you'll be hopefully getting vaccinated, uh, you know, reasonably soon, I think. Dr. Barry Pecos has been with us, public health and preventative medicine physician and a professor with the Dal Atlanta School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Another great uh, thing that we're seeing as a result of this uh, global pandemic is uh, lots of people are helping out. Lots of people are volunteering in these clinics, and we're even seeing retired physicians, nurses, what have you, come back to the front lines and help out when this uh, mass vaccination uh, really gears up. Let's bring in Dr. Margaret Crawley, retired physician who has returned to Trillium Health Partners to support their vaccination clinic and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am indeed. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How long were you retired when you went back? Uh, well, I, I graduated in 1980, so that was quite a few years ago. And I opened a family practice uh, in 1982 in South Etobicoke, where I worked for 36 years. And then I've gradually started to retire. Um, and then my last piece of my practice, I let go of last January in 2020. whole purpose was to go travel and care for my elderly parents who are out of town and we got one trip in and came back March 2nd, and this country was a whole lot different than when we left. Oh, my. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that. I've talked to a few friends that are that are a little older than me and have retired and are in the same situation. We're ready to go out and, and start their golden years, and, and here they are. Um, so, uh, first of all, what was it like for you after 30 years to give up that practice? Oh, it was really tough because there are a lot of people that you get to know well, I had some families, I had four generations that I was looking after. So it's really hard to put that behind you. Uh, thankfully, I've been able to bump into some of them in the community, and it's so nice to see them again, although I certainly can't give them any hugs nowadays. Yeah, isn't that the truth? So how did you get the call to come back? Um, I was still uh, sort of involved in the communications at Trillium Health Partners, which is the hospital I had done some work at, and they put out an email asking for people to help work in the testing centers, the assessment centers for COVID. And uh, so a lot of humming and hawing and consideration, and uh, then I thought, you know, there was somewhere that I could still help out in the community. So what is it like to go into those situations now? 
Um, well, back then it was pretty scary because we had no idea what this virus was all about, what we could do, what we couldn't do. Uh, there were so many stories about lack of PPE um, to keep us safe. I was um, quite comfortable in Trillium Health Partners. They've been quite good to all their staff over the years. And so I felt more comfortable going into the situation um, knowing that I, they had my back, that I could be protected there. A lot of my work was done in the drive through testing centre, which, as you can imagine, uh, is open to the elements. So it was a little bit tough in those cold spring months and the really hot, hot summer months. Are you administering any vaccine? I am indeed, yeah. So I've been doing the testing centres all through the uh, summer and fall and then doing some calls to people who are testing positive to counsel them. And then in January, the call went out to look for people to help in the vaccination clinic. So I started working then um, and have put quite a few hours in there. So what's it like? What's the reaction when you give someone this injection? Oh, it's like winning the lottery. Hmm. Uh, Especially a lot of these older folks who have not been out of their house since last spring. You know, they would like to leap up and give me a hug, but we can't do that either. Hmm. Um, So it's just such a positive experience being in that clinic, working with these people that it's it's it just lifts up your heart uh so what describe the difference between what it was like for you in the earlier days when you're standing in those parking lots and and doing those tests with the you know with the huge long q-tip and such and 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 the attitude there because i'm sure it's one more of fear at that point because people are trying to they're getting tested they're not sure what the outcome will be versus those that are standing in line for a vaccine oh it's such it's night and day different You know, as you say, people going into the testing center, they're afraid of what you're going to tell them. Whereas those people that are coming into the vaccine clinic, they're happy to be there. They know that there's only good things going to come out of this. Um, and so that's way why they're just glad to be there. Uh, lots of healthcare folks like yourself that are doing this, that are going back? Lots, lots and lots. So in the uh, the vaccine clinics, um, there are tons of clerical staff who've come from all different walks of life um, who are not working in their regular jobs and they're now coming and having an opportunity to work here. Uh, the vaccinators are from all sorts of walks of life as well. So many uh, retired physicians, retired nurses, um, some uh, physicians that are currently working but are putting in extra hours in these clinics and then a lot of the allied health personnel that have been trained to do these vaccinations, too. What message do you have for those that are standing by and waiting to get the call to go? Uh, you know, maybe those that are in their 50s, their 40s, what have you. We're certainly seeing um, the ICUs in, in, in hospitals have more uh, people under 65 now as the older generation gets, gets vaccinated. What, what's your message to those that are still waiting? Well, I think they still have to do all of the public health guidelines, you know, wearing the mask, keeping the distance, washing hands. I know we're all tired of doing that. We're tired of not seeing our friends. But if they can hold on for a few more months until we've got everybody at least one dose in their arms, I think this country will be a whole lot different place when we get to that situation. What was it like for you to go back into 
uh, a healthcare facility after being retired. And of course, working with people who have been on the front line for, for some, many over a year. Uh, and we certainly, we know, as you mentioned, the fatigue we're all feeling. You can just imagine what it's like for the healthcare workers and, and what they have to go through every day. What's it, what can you tell us about what it's like in there now in a COVID-19 world? Well, they're all still a bit scared, I think, and, and everybody's tired. So they're doing 12-hour shifts. You know, I mentioned working in the testing center. So I was only there for six hours at a time, but these nurses were there for 12 hours. And when you're doing a test, of course, they're right in somebody's face. So they have a lot more exposure than I did. Um, and so everybody's tired. Everybody wants to get this over and done with and get back to a more no- normal life. A lot of nurses uh, were uh, what they call redeployed. So they were taken from their normal positions um, and then put into different positions. So any um, emergency room workers that perhaps the emergency departments weren't as busy, they would get redeployed to the intensive care unit, which uh, many would believe it would be a scarier place to work. How concerned are you about the surgeries that mi- that have been missed or, or procedures or therapy uh, or even just a basic physical, a basic medical, which is very tough to get now? Um, what, what, what are your thoughts of, of, of coming out of this and, and, and how it will affect us moving forward? It's going to take us a long time to catch up. I mean, starting from all of those regular visits to family doctors that you do, all of those um, tests that you do, looking for different cancers at an early stage, right up through all of the surgeries that are, have been put off. Um, it's going to take us a long time to get caught up. Do you think this has changed us in any way? Has it made us more empathetic? Has it made us, it certainly seems to have made us more aware of our healthcare system and those that work hard in it. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of positive things that come out of it. I mean, uh, look at all the long-term care situations right now, and I think there's going to be a lot of positive things that come out of that. I'm hoping one of the things is that people will be a lot more aware of infections, especially in the wintertime when colds and flus are abounding. Maybe we should all be wearing masks all winter um, because there's been no cases of flu this year. So I think that's giving us an important lesson that infection control measures do make a difference. To our health. Your thoughts that may be hesitant, your thoughts on those that may be hesitant about getting a vaccine? I think a lot of it is that they either don't have enough information or they have the wrong information. Um, there's a lot of people who think that they're experts out there. So I think if those people can speak to a trusted information source, uh, perhaps their family doctor, somebody in the public health department, I think they'll get a lot more information that they can be comfortable with. And certainly the people that I speak to in the vaccine clinic that are maybe accompanying somebody who's getting a vaccine, there are a lot of questions out there that they have. And if you can give them some good information, they're always really appreciative. Dr. Margaret Crawley has been with us, retired physician who has returned to Trillium Health Partners to support their vaccine clinic and has been testing and even uh, applying the jab into those uh, that have asked for it. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for coming back. Thanks to all your peers who have done the same and pass on uh, to those that are in the healthcare industry. We are all so thankful for everything that you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.